1: Welcome to another edition of the Josh Hendrickson Show. I'm Neil McCready. Josh Hendrickson with me here today as well. We're taping uh, via Zoom, so if it sounds a little bit different than it has the first 14 episodes or so, uh, that's why we'll get back into the studio here. I think I'm going to be comfortable being back up in the studio in the next week or two. Um, I've just been dealing with my knee ailment and I'm only about two weeks out, and so I'm not yet super confident on it, but I'm getting there. Uh, it's been... Last time we got together, Josh, it was before Christmas, so I uh, hope you had a great Christmas. Happy New Year, all of that stuff. It feels weird to say that on January the 24th, but regardless, it's the first time I've seen you in the new year, so Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um. All right. Obviously, something that we talked about a lot over the last several episodes, and it's going to be a big topic of conversation in 2024, which we're a month into now. Is the presidential race, which, um, uh, is shaping up at this point to be exactly what we all thought it would be. I don't know why the news media is acting like this is a surprise. Uh, Donald Trump has won Iowa, uh, as we taped this on Wednesday, he won, um, New Hampshire yesterday, Tuesday, won by 10, 11 points, I think was the, the final range, uh, I was telling you before we got started, I've been surprised a little bit by the media coverage of this because the media is almost like, wow, Haley outdid herself. She overperformed and it's my deal. And I'm not trying to be cynical or whatever. It's just to say in New Hampshire, which has a lot of independence where they, the democratic race didn't even count. Literally no delegates were on the line. Um, A lot of people, a lot of Democrats registered to vote in the Republican primary. And then you had a lot of independents who vote in the Republican primary. So the fact that Haley put up some numbers in New Hampshire is not surprising. But at the end of the day, just like it was in Iowa, she lost. And so we're we're making this big news out of, hey, um, Ohio State lost to Michigan by 21, but they were predicted to lose by 24. So, I, I mean, it's still a loss. And so, I, as you told me in a, in a text, as I hand it over to you, the part that the media seems to just be skipping on is, for better or for worse, and I think you and I have differing views on that part of it, for better or for worse, Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, and it's going to be cinched here pretty quickly. And we are going to have, assuming it's Joe Biden on the other side, one of the longest general elections in modern history.
2: Yeah, I think, well, when you think about what was going on with uh, Haley and you and and this entire race, I mean, there, there's a couple things going on here. So number one, first of all, the media loves a horse race. Yeah. So they love the fact that like, uh, you know, people tend to surprise in Iowa and New Hampshire, and then it, that sort of changes the race and then it prolongs things and, and that sort of thing. So in some sense, I think what's going on with Haley is, I think there was like this hope that she would do well and there would be kind of a horse race and Trump would actually have to kind of campaign and, you know, he'd face a little bit of competition and, and, you know, and it would give them something to talk about. Um, The problem is, is that, you know, we've been saying this uh, on here for a very, very long time is that it it was, it was sort of obvious to me, Donald Trump was going to win the entire time. And I didn't even think it would be close. Uh, To me, the only person that was an alternative to Donald Trump was Ron DeSantis and DeSantis could never get enough uh, support throughout, you know, his campaign to even suggest that he was going to finish anywhere, but a distant second um, to, to Donald Trump in the primaries. And so to me, none of this was a surprise. It was entirely predictable, but there are people who are desperate for this to change. And I think, you know, partly, you know, that you have the media rooting for a horse race part, you know, partially you have people who are just, um, they want Trump to lose. They're just rooting for a surprise, right? They're rooting for somebody to just be, uh, the, the, the candidate that, you know, threatens him or, or, or something like that. And, that just wasn't going to happen. And you see how even in the Republican party, you know, there are still all of these sort of never Trump people. uh, And they all kind of rallied behind Haley as though Haley was going to be the the candidate. But like Haley is not, Haley, it's not clear who Haley is supposed to appeal to besides like, um you know, th- these people who work in the Republican establishment and in the, DC think tanks and things like that. Like she has no broad appeal. Her appeal seems to be coming from the fact that certain people just don't like Trump. So they're not going to vote for Trump. Um, and the, you know, a lot of the establishment people threw their weight behind her, but she's not, um, you know, there, there's no obvious, you know, there's no popular support there. There's no, there's nobody who's driving this campaign. You don't see a lot of passionate Haley supporters out there and so the media and the Republican establishment, they've just been trying to make this happen, and it's not going to happen. It's, I mean, it's over. It's already over. Uh, Trump, Trump is the, is the nominee. Uh, I mean, it's, it's basically over.
1: Jumping around a little but I just kind of want to get your thoughts here. I mean, he was asked, he being Trump, was asked yesterday about Haley, and, and he said she should stay in as long as she wants to stay in. I mean, do, it, do what you want to do. Uh, he has backed off the Ron DeSinct He says he's retired that name. And he was asked specifically yesterday about DeSantis as a running mate, and he just said, "I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to talk about that." Wasn't a no. Um, a lot of people, like you said, and I'm one of them, uh, going into this as frankly, full disclosure, as someone who wants to see a Republican back in the White House, I viewed DeSantis as our best bet. I thought that he would beat Biden. He would. I actually thought that if DeSantis were at the top of the ticket, the Democrats would have to pivot and run someone else. That it would be so obvious that they would lose, that they would have to, they would worry about losing across the board in the Senate, in the House, that they would have to pivot. And they still might. We'll talk about that in a minute. But DeSantis got out and may have gotten out in time. We have a very short attention span. We being people. He may have gotten out in time to position himself to be on Trump's ticket. Trump's got to pick. I think it can't be Mike Pence. So, (laughs) you know, it's going to be someone new and the obvious people, the ones that are back behind him right now, Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott and those people, if, Those don't feel like the choices. Those feel like the cheerleaders. Maybe it's Haley, although I seriously doubt it. But DeSantis as a running mate, would that give Trump some, I don't know, credibility with your more mainstream Republicans who generally liked Trump but hated how he acted on Twitter and didn't like the way that he acted after he lost?
2: Yeah, I think part of this is going to be important for a couple of reasons. Um, I, I, mean, I actually think this is important for both candidates, right. Is that they, their age matters. And so who you're picking as a running mate actually matters in a way that maybe it doesn't matter, um, in other elections because, you know, there's, I mean, there's a good chance just, uh, you know, pure old age gets one of these guys. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and so who you pick is actually important because that, you know, they, you know, I mean, the, the line is always, well, this person is just, you know, one, uh, you know, they're just one day away from from the White House if something terrible happens or something. And, and that's true, but, you know, typically they're not, right? Like, typically there's not really a threat. It would take something crazy happening. But given the age of, of, of Trump and Biden, like, I think it's actually much more important. And I think that Trump's choice is actually going to matter and it's actually going to signal... I think what he intends to do as president by, by who he chooses. Um, You know, a lot of this choice is going to matter to independent voters because a lot of, I think a lot of independent voters are looking at this and saying, look, if I got to choose one or the other, like, even if I didn't like Trump the last time around, like I got to think about it because you've kind of seen the Biden administration. They're not, you know, Biden's not popular. Um, he doesn't, you know, he seems completely out of it most of the time. He can't string together a sentence. And so you've got all of these, um you've got all of these factors that are maybe pushing independence back towards Trump. And so his choice, I think, here really matters. I think it's notable that when DeSantis dropped out, um, I didn't think that he would endorse anybody. Like I kind of thought he would just drop out and then maybe give it some time and then just, you know, when Trump won, maybe get behind Trump. But when he dropped out uh he explicitly criticized Nikki haley and endorsed trump like as part of his uh announcement that he's dropping out and so uh,
1: yeah go ahead uh, here's here's yeah it, and there's a lot to get to there i, I want to i want you to expound on this part cuz i'm curious you mentioned independent voters there is in the polling data this is what is so fascinating to me in the polling data nationally Trump never gets over about 40% of people who I like Donald Trump. I, I love Donald Trump. I'll vote for Donald Trump. Really, it's the same for Biden. He's having a hard time lately getting over about 35%. People going, yeah, yeah, he's my president. He's awesome. I'm voting for him. Rock him, sock him. Uh, Kamala Harris never gets over about 20 I mean, she, both Biden and Trump are dynamos politically compared to Kamala Harris right now. So if the Republicans can make hey you vote for Biden you might as you 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 realize you're turning Kamala Harris into the next president right you get that right you can see him walk around right can they turn that into enough of a of a uh, campaign issue that it actually matters at the polls and if he's going to do that who's the kind of candidate that he has to put on his ticket to sort of combat Harris's
2: presence on Biden's I think it depends on who he's going to – of what kind of presidency he wants to have and then also who he's trying to attract. To me, I think if you picked somebody like Ron DeSantis, like you're signaling um, that you want to do serious stuff because this is somebody that you could trust to put in charge of certain things that you uh, might not normally – Uh, have your vice president in charge of, you know, he seems to be a very competent leader. He seems to be very competent in dealing with bureaucracy. He seems to be very confident, competent, um, knowing when, uh, to pick certain political battles and knowing which political battles are worth fighting and which aren't, um, he, he also seems to know how to deal with a critical media and things like that. And so I think like if you, if he picks somebody like DeSantis, I think it's going to signal, um, You know, that he's willing to uh, have somebody um, who is competent in those roles in ways that um, other choices might not be. Um, But I mean, if he picks somebody like Vivek or something like that, like I think if if he picks him, then he's really just picking somebody who can kind of go out there and be the attack dog and kind of say things, um, but not be Trump. And so when he says things like, maybe you know, people can't necessarily dismiss them because they don't like Trump or something like that. Uh, you know, it's a completely different um, person. But then also, you know, the other thing is, is that th- this is politics. And so when politics get involved, they they might, um, you know, they they might look for for certain other factors, right? Like they might say, hey, you know, Trump didn't do well with women. Maybe if he picks a female running mate, you know, that will help him with with female voters and. Uh, and things like that. So I I think a lot of it has to, uh, a lot of the choice is going to come down to how much he weighs, um, you know, election factors versus how much he weighs, you know, governing factors in in that choice. And so like a pick like DeSantis signals that he's looking for somebody to help him govern and to help him uh, reform things and take on the bureaucracy. And I think if he, um, you know, but um, you know, there are other choices that he could make that might appeal to the base or that might appeal to female voters or, or who knows, you know, just to, to try to maybe broaden his electoral appeal.
1: Um, I'm, I'm going to get your thoughts on this. Cause I get this question all the time. People ask me and they, they say, honestly, do you, do you think Trump can win? My answer for the longest time has been no. I don't think Trump can win. I think too many people dislike him. I think he's too unpopular with moderates, with independents. I think in the end, Trump will lose. And I still generally think that, which is why I was so pro-DeSantis. I am I think you have a different view on this. You think Trump can
2: win, I believe. Um, what's his path to victory? I think that it's going to be harder for him than like um you know a typical uh Republican, even a typical Republican who, that's kind of similar to him. Um, but maybe um it, it, but there are just so many there's nobody anywhere that doesn't have an opinion on Donald Trump. And so that is um if you're really popular, that could be an advantage. But um the problem is is that he's polarizing. So everybody has an opinion and some people love him and some people hate him. And so if you hate him, you're not changing your opinion and you're not going to vote for him. And so in that sense, he he faces a very uphill battle. But I think that the the advantage that has this time is that in the previous election, you know, he was just running against generic Democrat, you know, sort of Joe Biden. But Joe Biden was promising to just kind of be like normal normal guy, let's get things back to normal. Let's, you know, um, you know, let's be moderate. Let's not be like some of these other people who are running in my party who want to do crazy things. Like let's, you know, um, and you know, that's that was a very hard thing for Trump to run against. The problem is is that Biden can't run that way again because now he has a track record. His track record is not particularly moderate. Um, his his administration is not particularly competent. Um, th- this isn't back to normal unless back to normal means, you know, ineptitude at every turn. Um, I think that, so I think that the problem that the Democrats face this time is like, they can't, is that they're not just running generic Democrat. They're not just running, Hey, you might not like this guy, but like, he's better than Trump because I think a lot of people have seen, you know, what's gone on the last four years. They've seen the political failures. And so they're like, you know, this guy isn't what he promised to be. His administration hasn't been particularly competent. And so, you know, uh, why not go back to the, to the other guy? I mean, that's not going to be true of the people who absolutely hate Trump, but the, but the independents who might've voted for him in 2016, and then didn't vote for him in 2020, like, why wouldn't they, why, why wouldn't they switch back? It's not um, like, if they're not, um, you know, if they're genuine swing voters, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that he has a chance. I mean, I think the difficulty here, um, though, is that, you know, he's, he spent the last four years talking about how elections are rigged and talked to talking about how, you know, he thinks the election was stolen from him. And one of the things is, is like, um, I don't know how that affects people's enthusiasm to go vote. I think maybe when it's Trump, like maybe they're like, yeah, let's go, let's go do it. But if it's just some, um, you know some other candidate maybe they're like ah, eh, you know my my vote doesn't matter but you know I, I don't know how much that that affects people's uh sort of motivations to go vote also the thing is and, and we have to take this seriously is that you know um we're living in sort of unprecedented times and so you you have a, a democratic party that is very much aligned with not only trying to stop donald trump from from being president but like they're trying to stop him from being on on ballots. They're trying to stop yeah. him. You know, they're trying to prosecute him. And um, and so even if, you know, you, you don't think that something was going on with the elections, I mean, the, the problem that one of the problems that the Democrats face is that when Donald Trump is going around saying, hey, the elections are the elections were rigged and they they cheated and they, you know, like that I didn't really lose and all that sort of thing. Is that it doesn't matter. If he's 100 percent wrong in saying all of those things, if if people are looking at the situation and they're saying, you know, he keeps saying this was stolen and that just seems ridiculous. But, you know, they are trying to put him in jail and they are trying to get him off the ballot. And so maybe they did, you know, maybe maybe they did uh, try something, you know, like that's all that matters in these scenarios is a sort of court of public opinion. If, if the public starts, you know, if there are people in the public who, who sort of thought this was all nonsense, you know, the, the Democrats to me, they're, they're overplaying their hand. Well, it's interesting and, you
1: say that Josh, because there was a, in a lot of the exit polling data in both Iowa and New Hampshire. Now realize those are just two States. There's 48 other States. There's, I mean, Haley's right when she's like, you know, really there's a whole lot of country that has yet to speak. Agreed. But when those both say that one of the points for them where they decided they were for Trump was when he got indicted. Because people looked at that first indictment in New York, which was a just a stupid case. I mean, everybody who could see it, anybody with a pulse goes, oh, come on, that's politically motivated. That's not real. And now the deal in Georgia is falling apart because the prosecutor is, is so corrupt um you know you've got you've got the the a lot of the j6 stuff not really not doesn't resonate the way that democrats thought that it would because there's been some media coverage that shows videos that where people are like well it's not good but maybe it wasn't exactly what you said it was regardless if the polling data indicates that every time you guys being the democrats try to use the legal system to knock him out. If every time that that happens, it emboldens Trump at the, at the, at, in the polls, they've got a decision to make. Don't they, Josh? They've got to decide, Hey, do we keep doing this? Cause we want to lock him up so bad. Or do we strategically deviate from this? Let's quit doing this because every time we're making people, we're making Donald Trump a sympathetic figure. It When, when, you try to lock him up and it appears that it's nothing. There's nothing but political witch hunt going on. That's as you said, that runs the risk of backfiring for them to me, to the point where, and it's just late January. So there's plenty of time for them to change strategy. But if I'm inside the hand raise room with the Democrats, I'm like, you know, we might want to back away from this a little bit because it's not helping us. It's only helping him. It's galvanizing people around him. And as you said, look, this is, it is ultimately about turnout. And I don't know how many people are super duper motivated to go vote for this 82-year-old doddering man uh, in Joe Biden. I mean, I'm just being serious. He, he's not a motivational guy. He ran his last campaign from a basement. The media is trying to figure out a way to get him to run it from hiding in the Oval Office, basically, this time around. If every time you, you go after Trump, with the legal system, it galvanizes his supporters. It that might be a strategy that that cost you in
2: November. Well, I think too the other thing that gets discounted in this is that you know a lot of people assume that people are voting for Donald Trump, but I think that there are, are some people who are just voting against what they see as like a uniparty. Right, they're voting against. Like this, um, you know, this coalition of people who just kind of uh make a home in Washington's kind of permanently, they all seem to be working together, they all seem to have common agendas, even though they're in different parties. There's not that much difference between them. Um, I think a lot of people are just voting against the system, right? And so, like, people who are voting against the system, when you go after Donald Trump, like, you're just reinforcing their beliefs that the system is messed up, right? Like, that's Um, you're, you're giving them fuel to the fire. I mean, you think about the Hunter, Hunter Biden, like laptop thing, like strategically, this was a smart thing to do for uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats when they were in, uh, like when it was, you know, like when it was right before the election, right? Like this news broke that there's this laptop and it's Hunter Biden's laptop, and he had left it at this um, computer repair place. And, you know, having left it at this computer repair place, you know, um, you know, it got turned over to the authorities and like, now they have it and there's all this terrible stuff on there. And, and the thing is, is that you can understand why, uh, Biden's campaign would try to stop this, but his campaign worked with the media and worked with, you know, people in the intelligence community to basically issue a statement saying, Hey, this isn't real. This is not a real laptop. This isn't happening. You know, um, you know, the, the story was being censored on social media, right? The the news was coming out and saying, you know, this is just Russian disinformation, all that sort of stuff. But like now we know that it's real. And not only was it real, we know that those people lied because the the computer was in the possession of the FBI when the intelligence agencies th- that when these people who had worked for intelligence agencies were saying, oh no, this isn't real. This has, you know, this has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation and that sort of thing. But the thing is, is in the moment, you can understand why that was the optimal strategy for the campaign, because that could potentially derail Biden's case for the presidency and Trump gets reelected. And that's sort of like their worst nightmare or whatever. But the problem is, is that Trump is running again. And so like now that um, we know that they were lying about that and those kinds of things undermine. I mean, th- this is one of the things that we've talked about so many times. Um since we started the show, is that there are just there's so many people within the government, there are so many people within positions of power, there are so many people in politics who have just told a lie because it because it 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 helped them in the really short run, and then later on we find out that it's a lie, and they don't seem to understand the harm that this does to their credibility forever. Like once you lie to the American public about something and they know that you lied, your credibility is gone. And so th- they've done these things and, um, and, and it's affected their credibility. And they don't seem to recognize that, you know, their credibility has been undermined and that, you know, when, if they were to try to, to attempt to do similar things in the future, you know, what, um, what's to prevent people from thinking like, well, wait a minute, how do I know they're not lying now? And I think that's the big thing. And, and, you know, the thing that they say about, you know, Trump is they say, oh, you know, like, he's dishonest and that kind of thing. But the things that like that they talk about that he's dishonest about is like when he says like, you know, oh, I had like the biggest uh, inauguration ever. And they're like, no, no, it wasn't. And he's like, yes, it is. And they show him a picture of his inauguration side by side. And he's like, wow, you know, that's just your picture. You know, like I, I was there. It was the biggest one ever. And then they say like, oh, well, he's clearly lying. But the thing is, is that's an inconsequential lie. And so it's not something that necessarily affects your credibility. Um, And, and I think that people also know what he's doing, right? Like he's just bombastic and he's just going to refuse to admit that somebody got a bigger crowd than him. Um, and, and, like, I don't think most people think that he's actually trying to prove that he had this huge crowd. Um, I think people know what he's doing. And some people find it amusing. Some people find it annoying. Some people think that it makes him a liar. But the thing is, it's like it's an inconsequential lie that doesn't necessarily affect your credibility. And those are the things that they that they bring out all the time. It's like, oh, that's, he's just a habitual liar. He lies about these things. But when you lie about you know whether people should be wearing masks, when you lie about whether um, you know, when you lie about whether a a laptop in the possession of the FBI exists or not, and then people figure out that you were telling a lie, those are things that actually affect your credibility, much more so than like, oh, my crowd was bigger than the last guys or, or, or whatever.
1: You know, and one thing that's going to be interesting in this cycle, kind of switching off of this story, but staying around it, is that the percentage of people who get their news from the mainstream media and just believe it as gospel is way down. And that's obvious by the fact that, or I shouldn't say the fact, it's obvious by some reports that are out there where you have, I'll give you an example. Um, this young guy, so Wall Street Apes on Twitter, on X. He makes these videos, he's an influencer about the economy, and he criticizes the economy all the time. And he says, I'm not a political guy. I'm not a Trump guy. I'm not a Biden guy. I'm I'm, I'm just, my, my observations about the economy. And he doesn't pretend to be a Josh Hendrickson economist. He's just noting the economy. Things are more expensive. Uh, the price of goods has exceeded the price of, I mean, the, the, the rate of, of salary growth, that kind of thing. And he's pointing it out. And he gets an email from the Democratic Party Asking him, hey, what would your rate be to post positive videos about Joe Biden? And he thinks this is ridiculous. There's no way this isn't even real. So he responds and he gives them a number. And they come back with done. You know, we'll do it. Here's and he's like, no, no, I, I'm not doing that. I don't, I don't, I'm not selling out. I and mean, but the point is, is if that's happening to him, you know that's happening to other people. Um, there's the story out right now that I don't know how credible it is or isn't. Uh, Carrie Lake, the, the, the former she ran for governor of, of Arizona, lost former TV anchor. She's sort of a Trump uh, supporter. Uh, the head of the Arizona Republican National Committee is on the, uh, the phone with her, basically relaying a message from the people back east. That hey, they want her to just pause for a couple of years, take the what would it take, and uh, she publishes that email. I don't know whether it's fake or not. I mean, what the, the, the apparently it's not. At least part of it's not because the, the the gentleman on the call resigned from his position today in Arizona, so there might be something to it. But there's a lot of kind of stuff that's out there where I think people, uh, you know, some of the the January, like I mentioned earlier, some of the January six videos. That, that that came out, uh, that that the, the bomb that was the pipe bomb that was found near the Democratic National Headquarters. It's pretty suspicious when you watch the video that they've got all this video, but not the video of someone leaving the bomb. And they have the video of someone discovering the bomb. And what's Kamala Harris doing there? At the t- There's just a lot of stuff that people ask, and it leads to conspiracies, and it leads to mistrust. And it kind of makes me wonder like, who is going to be there's not going to be one narrative necessarily shaped about this election going for all these months. And the, 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 I think the national media is, is sort of stunned that it doesn't, they don't, they've lost the trust of enough people out there that people are getting their news or what they think is their news from all sorts of completely different types of, of, um, uh, of sources more so than 2016, more so than 2020. It's really, it's a different landscape in 2024 in the post
2: post COVID post J six world. Well, there's, there's just so much weird stuff going on. And then, but then there's also like one of the most effective things that Trump did during his first term is, you know, he kept talking about fake news, fake news, fake news. And initially it didn't seem to be getting much traction but the problem is is that there are so many people um who are either so in their bubble that they're unaware of what's going on or just like blatantly lie about things that they started proving him correct and like they um i mean there was a, a there was a guy who works for the washington post this morning and um and somebody had posted about how you know well um so the the thing there's a there's a meme on the internet so several years ago um when people started losing their jobs in various uh industries like um like coal mining and all, all these other sorts of things you saw all these stories from journalists that were like um well you know they just need to learn a new skill like the, and and one of the things that they said is like well you know why don't they like learn how to code and
1: learn how to code you know, yeah. And, yeah, yeah
2: and things yeah. like that and And then it became a, and then it became a meme. But the reason it became a meme is then when a lot of these journalists would get laid off, there are a bunch of sort of blue collar workers who would get on there and reply to them, just learn to code. And, um, and, and it sort of became a meme. And, and so somebody brought that up the other day that like, Hey, you know, um, you know that because you know, journalists, there there's there's stories in the news again about you know people at the l a Times and and Sports Illustrated and all these people like losing their jobs in journalism. and and so that this popped up again where people were like, oh, learn to code and people, and you know the journalists don't find this funny. And what people started pointing out is they said, look, this is what you and many politicians have been saying to people who've lost their jobs over the last several years is like, just learn to code. And this guy for The Washington Post was like, this is simply not true. Like Joe Biden never said this. Now, the great thing about, you know, Elon Musk's version of Twitter is we have these things called community notes. And so this guy posts the thing that's like, uh, no, this has never happened. Joe Biden never said that. And then underneath, there's a community note that's like, here's a video of Joe Biden saying, if you can go down in a coal mine, you can learn how to code on a computer or something. And so like, it's, you know, stuff like that. It's just like, why are you lying about that? Like, why are you denying that this ever happened? And it's like, maybe you don't know because you live in a bubble and you, don't, and, and, and you don't know about it. But like, why do you just assume without even doing like a simple Google search, you know, um, whether or not Joe Biden actually said this or whether or not this this thing or that thing actually happened? And and I think that's the thing that, that bothers people. Um, with regards to January 6th, I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, spurs conspiracies about these things is that the people who actually pay attention to this stuff start noticing weird things. Like there's this guy, Ray Epps, who's on video, uh, the night before, um, uh, on, so the night of January 5th, and he's going around telling people, Hey, you know, we got to go in the Capitol tomorrow and we gotta, we gotta go in the Capitol and, you know, and, and it's, and and the funny thing about it is is the videos there the people he's talking to are literally like are you a fed yeah they're a fed this? fed, yeah. fed. they're like are, are you trying to set us up like this is and so and so that's the thing is he's 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 saying that and then there's a video of him on January 6th like and he's like at the front lines of the of um you know the barricades like arguing with cops and then, you know, he instigates like a confrontation with cops that ultimately ends up with like a bunch of people like, you know, uh, storming the, the barricade. And, um, and, and so the, the thing about, but the thing about this is for the people who are paying attention,
0: we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Learn more at marines.com.
2: They started bringing this up because, you know, they're prosecuting everybody who just like walked into the Capitol on that day. And here's a guy. Literally
1: locking people up for
2: years. Right. And so here's a guy who's on video and he's talking about, hey, we got to go into the Capitol the night before. And then he's talking about, hey, you know, then he's like instigating, you know, people into confrontations with the police and, um and, you know, and, and getting into a tug of war with the barricade with the police. And he's on video doing these things. And then not only does he not get arrested for this, but like the media, like 60 Minutes did a story about this poor man who has been subjected to all this, all these rumors about his participation and like people accusing him of being like a, a federal agent or an informant to the FBI or something like that. And they and they made him out to be this like sympathetic fig- figure that was like sub- subjected to like this like mistaken identity or something and it's like no 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 like the guy is on tape and then they finally did prosecute him but then he got he he got probation whereas everybody else you know who's been convicted has has gone to to jail and so the problem here is is like look maybe nothing Funny is going on here, right? Maybe the you know m- maybe there's nothing funny going on. The problem is is that people have lost trust in the media. People have lost trust in their government, and they see stuff like this, and it leads them naturally into conspiratorial thinking. Like, well, this guy must have worked for the uh, for the feds, or this guy must know somebody important, or this guy must you know there, he, there's something that got you know special that got this guy out of it. And then people start to speculate what that is. And then people, and, and, and the other thing about this is that, you know, people keep, you see why it's important not to undermine the public trust because everybody keeps tying this into something that we now know uh, because it's gone to court is that a lot of this, um, reports of like the attempts to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, um, the vast majority of the people involved either were, FBI agents or FBI informants. Yeah. And so and that came out in the, in the um you know in in the court case. And so naturally people are looking at that and then they're looking at this uh at, you know at, at what went on there and saying, "Well, wait a minute. How do we know that that's not like something similar. And this guy seems to be getting special treatment. And so, because he's getting special treatment, maybe that's what, and, and so it doesn't matter. It, like, and this is what I say all the time. It doesn't matter whether any of this stuff is actually true. It doesn't matter whether um, this guy was working for the FBI or whether um, he was an informant or, or whether he just knows somebody important who, you know, who could get him um, special treatment. It, like, it doesn't matter whether any of that is true. All that matters is that people start to believe that maybe it's true. Because that if you get to a point where you start to believe that maybe it's true, like the, the people's that that's tells you that people's faith in their institutions, in the media, in their government, um is, you know, is gone. And you can't and, and it's and it's gonna be extremely difficult to get that back. And so and, and so it doesn't matter whether the people who are trumpeting up these like conspiracies are correct or not, or even partially correct even if they're 100% wrong there's a reason that these conspiracies pop up they pop up because people can't understand what's going on and the media seems completely uninterested in it and they just and so they're like mm, well you know what could it be
1: yeah you know not to spend a lot of time on this cuz i want to get to a, another topic to close that i think is is fascinating that impacts everyone who has children especially um but the whole thing about the J6 thing and maybe I'm seeing this way too nuanced. I don't I don't condone the behavior of what happened that day because obviously a lot of people took it way too far. But I hate the word insurrection. Because an insurrection sort of implies at least in my mind that you're going in there with the intent to overthrow a government to stop, in this case, to stop the the validating of the ballots and the electoral votes and stuff. And to do that successfully, you have to have armed, you have to have an armed militia of some sort. The people weren't armed. They were, again, some misbehaved and, and some did some really bad things. And some deserve to be prosecuted. But some of the people just walked in the door that was held open for them by the guards and just walked around. At the beginning, if you look at it, they're walking in between the ropes. They're literally like, they look like they're on a tour. And you're like, well, that does that look like an insurrection? And then you start to find out that some of the some of the first salvos were fired by the guards and stuff when they pepper sprayed the people. And, well, that's going to create panic and anger and confusion and, I don't know, when the one shot that was fired was fired by a Capitol guard and and killed a protester. I'm, again, I'm not excusing behavior. It just... The, well- We just, I just think the word insurrection gets thrown around way too much because that really, if that was an attempt to overthrow a government, it was the worst attempt to overthrow a government in the history of attempts to overthrow governments.
2: Well, I think this is again, a prime example of, of, of kind of what, uh, you know, I I mentioned earlier is that there has been this tendency since Donald Trump started running for president. And then since he, and then when he, after he got elected president, there is this tendency for people who don't like Donald Trump to overplay their hand. Okay. And I think this is a prime example of this. Like, okay, this was a huge, like to me, this event is extremely embarrassing for our country. Yes. It's extremely embarrassing. Yes. And some people did things that are worthy of going to prison. Yes. Um, that, you know, are visible on, on camera. Yes um the problem is is that you know you literally had people the next day saying like this is um this is the worst thing to happen on u.s soil you know um other than like 9-11 or something and it's like okay thousands of people died in 9-11 right to my knowledge like one person died
1: yeah i mean okay. it's, it's not even comparable um, it's not it's not comparable to pearl harbor people have done that. I mean, yeah. Holy, holy shit, man! Stop. And when people do the nine eleven thing, I, I get infuriated. No, we got attacked on nine eleven, and American citizens who were up uh, uh, who were in the the upper floors of two of the most iconic buildings in America, were forced to make a decision: burn to death or leap to their death. That, that was their choice. That they, 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 that that was the worst day on American soil, and certainly in in modern American history. I mean if you want to go back to the civil war and have an argument about Gettysburg and stuff okay fine I'm 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 in on that too but no it was an embarrassing day it was a day where it was humiliating to watch it was disgusting to watch and as you said there were some people who absolutely did things that deserved prison time but there were a whole lot of people who went to prison who really there was no there was no benefit in locking them up, solitary confinement, taking them away from their families and uh, ruining lives that you wouldn't. It was only political. It's what it's actually it's, it's actually one of the things that sometimes I hold against Trump is that in those 14 days, he could have pardoned some of those people. But, you know, he, he didn't. And now he's saying that he will if he's reelected, and as soon as he's put in, I, I don't know. It's just that that story is a is a media story that the, the 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 mainstream media really really clings to, and I just don't think they ever tell it truthfully.
2: Well, and I think the th- the, the problem here is is that you have to be very very careful um, about particular things. Like I think that the threshold for trying to prosecute your political opponent has to be much higher than the threshold to prosecute anyone else. Right. Like, um, because you don't want to ever be seen as using the system to consolidate your political power. And I think that that's also true in this instance is that you don't want to be seen as taking political prisoners. It doesn't matter what your objective really is if the public sees this and says hey there are a lot of people who are going to prison who didn't really do anything wrong those are just political prisoners once again it doesn't matter whether that's true once people believe that it's true or once people see that that's the case and um once people think that you know you're you're prosecuting uh uh you know Uh, more people than, than you should be prosecuting or prosecuting people for just arbitrary things or something like that. You know, that's the conclusion people are going to draw is like, oh, these are political prosecutions and you're just trying to send, and then people are going to draw the conclusion that you're trying to send a message to the supporters of your opponent that like, um, they're not going to be allowed to, um, uh, that that they might not want to show up at an event like this because you never know what will happen at this event and you never know whether, you know, if you'll get sucked into to something like this and end, and end up in prison. And I think that that's the problem is that these things undermine trust. When you're prosecuting your political opponent, you better have, like, it, it better be, you know, uh, an open and shut case and it better be something that everyone, even some of the supporters would have to admit as a crime. And, you know, when you start putting people in prison um, who were just on the grounds that day. Um, you know, and, and there have been reports that they're going to start actually going after people who were at the protest, but didn't go in the building. Um, but that were outside protesting. Once again, like there are reports that this is going to happen. And so uh, even if you don't do it, the fact that those reports got out, you know, it undermines people's faith. In their institutions and when their faith gets undermined in the institutions it becomes much easier to convince them that you know there's something uh bad going on here or that you're not trustworthy or 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 whatever and i just think that you know they continue to overplay their hands and you know i mean the thing that i can't figure out is i can perfectly i I i find it very very easy to understand why somebody wouldn't like donald trump i find it very easy to understand why somebody would think he's not a good president i find it very easy to understand why people might find him embarrassing, right? As, as the president, I I understand all of these things, but I do not understand for the life of me, why they think that this man is such a threat to them, that he's going to take down like the entire country or something, you know? And in fact, a lot of the things that they're accusing him of are things that they themselves are doing. Yes. And, and, um, and so in the process, they're shining a light on what they're doing you know, because they kept and-
1: saying, they kept saying he's he's not going to leave. They had all these stories about how they would yeah. pull him out, and on the morning of January the twentieth, several hours before his term was over, he walked out peacefully, boarded the helicopter, and left. He he did. He everything they said he would do, he didn't do. I mean, and again, I'm I, I'm a guy who was a Desantis guy. I thought Desantis would would defeat i thought if desantis would get the nomination he would win easily over biden and i still believe that to this day but so much of the stuff that the mainstream media says about trump it it just rings hollow after a while
2: well but i think this gets i, I think this is maybe the best way to summarize what's going on Is like i keep seeing people who are treating this election as they do any other election where they're like um you know, like I, I see like Republican commentators, right, like on Twitter and stuff like that that are just like, oh, by nominating Donald Trump, we are making a huge mistake. Like if we just nominated Haley, she would appeal to so many other people or something and like now we're going to lose or um, or even if we win, we'll be stuck with with Trump or whatever. And, and it's like and, and so they're treating this as though like th- they're treating this as though people are going to the polls and thinking to themselves, do I want Donald Trump? Or do I want Nikki Haley? There's no one that's making that. There, there's no one. Mm-mm. There's not one single person who's making that determination when they go into the polls. And I think that the issue is, and the thing that people don't understand is, I think that what this election is, um, and what this camp, what and what this election is going to be, what this campaign is going to be, is I think that this is actually. Um, this is, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about this before, where it seems like we're in sort of like this cold civil war, right? Where we have these, you know, just, um, you have these different sides. You have these people who feel like they're not represented at all, uh, by the government and, um, and by the institutions. And, um, and th- those are the people who seem to be like the biggest Trump supporters. And I think that, but, but then you have all of these other people who just find these people completely un, They, they can't even understand how people like that exist. It's not just that they disagree with them. It's like, they can't even understand like why, how a person could come to their positions. And I think the thing is, is like, this is an actual clash here, um, where, um, you know, people keep saying like, nobody wants this election, but they, everybody sure seems to be running towards this election. Like everybody keeps saying, nobody wants Biden versus Trump. Everybody's running towards Biden versus Trump, right? The, the, um, like, I, I just think that this is, this is much bigger than, than that. This isn't about like, Hey, who helps us win the election? This is about like, you know, the, the people, the, the people who are most, the, the, most adamant Trump supporters, this is about giving a middle finger to the establishment. This is about telling them like, we're not happy with you and we don't care. Like you tell us he's going to burn it all down. We don't care. Right. Like that's like, the, you know, um, like we're on the side of the guy you know, who would burn it all down, right? Like there, there's no, um, there doesn't seem to be this recognition that there is a, there is a significant conflict of visions in this country. And that that's what is leading to this election. This isn't about like, Oh, who gives you the better chance and who's more attractive to female voters and who's better with minorities and who's better with college educated and who's better with high school educated. That's not what this is about. Like this is about people who fundamentally disagree on the direction of the country and on like what is going on and on um the um the the trustworthiness of our institutions and things like that. That's what's really going on here. And that's why we're we're um you know marching towards another Biden Trump election is because that those issues that people think about in horse race politics, those aren't the issues that are motivating people to make choices right now.
1: It's well stated. All right we'll wrap with this last story. This is from the New York Times. David Linhart, I think is how you say his name. He's been covering uh, higher education for uh, more than two decades. He writes, after the COVID pandemic made it difficult for high school students to take the SAT and ACT, dozens of selective colleges dropped their requirement that applicants do so. Colleges described the move as temporary, but nearly all have since stuck to a test optional policy. It reflects a backlash against standardized tests that began long before the pandemic, and many people have hailed the change as a victory for equity in higher education. Now, though, a growing number, again, I'm reading from the New York Times. Now, though, a growing number of experts and university administrators wonder whether the switch has been a mistake. Research has increasingly shown that standardized test scores contain real information, helping to predict college grades, chances of graduation, and post-college success. Test scores are more reliable than high school grades, partly because of grade inflation in recent years. Without test scores, admission officers sometimes have a hard time distinguishing between applicants who are likely to do well at elite colleges and those who are likely to struggle. Researchers who have studied the issue say that test scores can be particularly helpful in identifying lower-income students and underrepresented minorities who will thrive. These students do not score as high on average as students from affluent communities or white and Asian students, but a solid score for a student from a less privileged background is often seen as a sign of enormous potential. Standardized test scores are a much better predictor of academic success than high school grades. Christina Paxson, the president of Brown University, recently wrote, Stuart Schmill, the Dean of Admissions at MIT, one of the few schools to have reinstated its test requirements, told me, quote, just getting straight A's is not enough information for us to know whether the students are going to succeed or not, end quote. So obviously, Josh, you work in higher education. Um, I mean, I. I know what people say about standardized tests that, hey, if you come from an affluent background and you can afford the extra study and the extra prep and things like that, you can raise your scores and, and that kind of thing. I get that. But I think colleges who've gone away from this completely as a as a way of predicting Uh, probability of success and as a, as a way to, to judge students, I think it's a a dramatic mistake, but this is your field, not mine. What are your thoughts on schools uh, deciding whether or not to utilize the ACT
2: and the SAT as a, as a, uh, a grade, if you will? I think this is a prime example of ideology. Um, and, and frankly, like a complete misunderstanding of statistics, um, And what ideology and that misunderstanding of statistics can do to like, uh, to, to make things worse. This is a travesty, not using standardized test scores is a travesty. Look, are standardized test scores perfect? No, they're not perfect. I mean, one of the things that you mentioned is like affluent people do better. Why do they do better? Well, because affluent students tend to do better because like their parents buy them like SAT prep, you know, software or books or, you know, a tutor or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, though, is that these this is the closest thing to a fair playing field that people can get. Because if I okay, if you go to a great school and you have all A's, and I go to a mediocre school or even a bad school and I have all A's, yeah. Um, if anybody knows something about those schools. They're going to discount my performance and they're going to accept you because they're going to look at that and say, you go to the good school and you're getting all A's. So we know you're really good. This guy, he's got all A's, but like he goes to this crappy school, you know, who knows what an A is worth there? You know, like uh, all these things, like these things are very, very difficult to, to assess. And the reason that I say that this is like statistical ignorance is like the entire focus on whether this is equitable focuses on the average. And this is maybe like the dumbest way to look at things. Like when you look at things and you say like, hey, um, Asian students on average do better than white students or white students on average do do better than black students. The averages are not what matter when we're talking about decisions about colleges. Okay, if you think about the distribution of grades, the distribution of grades um, no matter how you divide it up, right. The distribution of grades looks like a kind of like normal distribution, right. The typical bell curve we can picture in our minds. Yeah. The, the average is the middle of that curve. Right. And, but that's not what we're, we're interested in. The fact that, you know, um, that the average is higher for one group than another is not, that, that doesn't prove that the test is inequitable. Right. It doesn't prove that this is unfair. Um, you, you have different average levels of performance. But what really matters is, is the people who are in like the right tail of that distribution. It's the people, it's the people, it's that low percentage of people, no matter what group they're in, whether it's male, female, whether it's white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever it is, it's the people in the right tail of the distribution that are signaling their ability, right? That are signaling that they, um, you know, their performance. And so the thing is, is that now all of a sudden, if you are a student who has all a's and you go to a really great school but you have like an average sat score and i have all a's and i go to this bad school but i have like you know i am way off in the right tail of the distribution i have like this, this uh you know this high score well now maybe the thing is is like you know just looking at pure grades they think well you know they should take you and not me but looking at sat scores now they say well wait a second um you know maybe this good school has some grade inflation because this this other guy Is go into the bad school, but he has a much higher SAT score. The SAT score levels the playing field because it gives you, you're being evaluated in comparison to other people who are taking the same exam. So it's an apples to apples comparison, whereas grades are an apples to oranges comparison. And so this has been what has leveled the playing field for many poor students and for many more and for many minority students over time is what has leveled the playing field is that when they sit down and take the SAT It doesn't matter that they're poor. It doesn't matter that they maybe went to a bad school district. It doesn't matter that they haven't had the resources. If they have the ability, the ability is going to shine through and it's going to show up in that score. And when it shows up in that score, that's going to open up opportunities for them that they would never have otherwise. And when you start getting rid of that score, there are going to be people. And this is the big problem with the policy. And this is why I said it's a travesty, because there are people who are really, really smart, who are poor, who are minority students who, um, go to bad school districts and they're the ones who are actually going to be hurt by this because they're not going to have the ability to use that SAT score to signal that their ability. And, but we're never going to see it because they're just going to go to a worse school where they'll probably excel. And then we'll never know about it because we're never going to know the counterfactual. We're never going to know that, well, Hey, in a world where people were looking at the SAT, this person would have got into a better school which would have opened up these other opportunities for them. That's ne- you know, we don't, we don't ever see that. And so not only are we imposing this cost on people, we're imposing a cost that we will never see with our eyes. Like we can see it when we, when, you know, people dig into the data and they look at what happens, but you're never going to see it in the person. It's never, you know, uh, yeah. you're, you're never going to see that the opportunities that this person would have had. And it's a great, it's a great way to level the playing field is to use these t- test scores, and I'm not saying that they're the only thing that you look at. I'm saying that you you consider those things and you consider those things because as part of an it, aggregate, it, yes, it, because you know this is an, it allows you to do an apples to apples comparison. I mean, when you think about it, like the people that we're really concerned about here, right, is we're thinking about the marginal person who would be accepted to a university. We're not thinking about the person who's going to get into Harvard no matter what, right? We're thinking about the person who may or may not get in and the admissions people are looking at this person and they're looking at this person and they got to make a decision. Well, if, if I'm one of those people, I want them to have as much information as possible when they're making that decision, because that gives me the best chance that it gives me the best opportunity to, to, to get in.
0: Yeah.
1: And instead, I don't even, I don't even have a problem with the kids. Like people push back about, well, the kids that, Go take ACT prep courses, and and uh, they go get a, a, an ACT tutor, and they, fig- yeah, but you still have to do the work, Josh. Yeah, you don't just show up at the ACT prep class and say, hey, what's up, what's up, Doc? And I'm gonna sit back here, I'm gonna play on my phone, and you're gonna talk for a while, and my ACT is gonna jump four point. No, no, you gotta really study, and you gotta commit to it, and the same thing that you. Well- Right in your economy, uh, economics classes at Ole Miss, if no matter how smart the kid is, if he or she's not willing to put the work in, they're probably not going to excel. But you want to, you, 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 to me as a university, if I see that a student made to 26 his or her sophomore year on the ACT, and then by the end of their junior year, they've made a 31, okay, I know two things. One, they've learned, and two, they've studied. Well, that's what when I bring, I want kids to come to my campus who are going to learn, who are willing to learn, who want to learn, and who are willing to put in the work away from the classroom to improve themselves. Those kind of people typically have a work ethic that's going to take them places in life. So the, the, the improvement that you would see as a, as a college admissions person, to me, that would be a positive. Yeah, is it a sign that their family has the financial wherewithal to afford some of those things? Of course. Do you take that into consideration? Certainly. But not everybody who goes and takes an ACT prep course jumps seven points. In fact, most people don't.
2: Yeah, and I think, well, but and this is the problem, though, is that we're saying, well, certain groups do differently on the exam, so therefore the exam isn't equitable. Like, this is part of the issue is, like, there, there's all this – um I mean we've had this conversation many times in different contexts but like the there are different like there, there's going to be inherent differences no matter what right there's going to be inherent differences no matter what um no matter how you design a test no matter how you do these things there's going to be if you if you separate people into groups there are going to be groups of people who do better than others Yes. And we might not understand why. And we might not understand why. We might yep. be able to look at that and say, well, hey, high income people do better. So that seems like um, being high income is uh, is biasing the results. But here's the thing. Even attributing income to, the, to these differences is wrong. Because when high income is associated with lots of other things. So if I say, hey, people with higher incomes tend to do better on these tests than people with lower incomes, okay, and it's easy to say, well, that's because people with higher incomes have the money to afford a tutor and to afford and to afford, you know, prep uh, you know, ACT and SAT prep and, and all these kinds of things. And that is true. But you know, like higher incomes are also associated with having like more educated parents. And what do we know about more educated parents? They tend to put more weight on education than lower educated parents. What you know, like. Um, high-income people tend to be married couples. Married couples tend to have more time to spend with their children doing homework and things like that than non-married couples, right? Like the, um, you know, I mean, that's just true by definition, right? Like if you've got a mom and a dad, they've got more time to work on homework with you than if you live with a single mom or a single dad, right? Like yeah. that's just- The that's way it is. You know, that 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 is what it is. And so like there are, there are all these things that are gonna influence outcomes. And like- Um, you know, should we pay attention to those things? Should we pay attention to things that, you know, should we say, Hey, you know, this shouldn't matter, but it seems to matter. I have no problem with that. The problem is, is that the people that we're hurting are not the, the, when we're saying, Hey, the averages are different. The people that we're hurting are not the people near the average of any of these groups. Like what we're, what we're doing actually is we're helping the people who are average in the, in the group that scores the highest on average and we're harming the people who are scoring like in the right tail of the distribution but come from a group that has a lower average right like the, the the people in those groups that have a lower average they they need this opportunity they this is the way to separate themselves this is the way that they can identify themselves um you know to these institutions and um and we're taking that away from them and i think that it, it's an absolute travesty these like um, there are kids who are going to get denied opportunities because, um, you know, these, these colleges have, um, and universities have good intentions, but, but they, they haven't looked at the numbers and they haven't thought through what the numbers mean. And they haven't thought through how these decisions get made and, and the opportunities that they're going to take away from people, um, by removing these, these exams.
1: Josh, as always, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. No, no problem. We will uh, we'll be back a couple of weeks. We'll uh, we'll get back into the Clark Ford Studios. I think by then I'll at least feel confident enough to sort of crawl up the stairs. Uh, so we, we'll we'll do that and uh, we'll get together. We'll probably talk a little bit more about what's going to be the longest build up to a political race in a long time, and we'll touch on some other things as well. And I still owe some of you uh, answers to uh, mailbag questions from a few weeks ago. I haven't forgotten. I still have them. So we'll uh, we'll get to those as well. So for Josh Hendrickson. I'm Neil McCready that does it for this edition of The Josh Hendrickson Show. Until next time, take care.